Amen. Good worship. Thank you, Lord. Well, God bless you. I want to invite you. If you would, take your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to be in Revelations for the next few weeks, chapters 2 and 3. That doesn't happen with me very often, but I know unless the Lord really impresses on me another message that we might preach in between for the next few weeks, we're going to be going through these seven churches. As we look at the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus gave to the church through these seven churches in the book of Revelations. You might be thinking, why do we need to be so much into what Jesus had to say to the church? Because I personally believe that the people of God are much too focused on the White House and the Supreme Court House and the House of Representatives much more than they ought to be. And that we need to be refocused on the greatest house of all, the house of God. Yes, that's important, the White House. I'm not belittling it. Yes, what they're fixing to do, hopefully, for what we believe is right for our nation, for the Supreme Courthouse is important. But I'm going to tell you, if America ever sees the favor and the poured out blessings of God again, it's not going to be what happens in the White House, the courthouse, and the House of Red. It's going to be what happens in the church house the house of the living God. And so we need to take a look at the house of God and we need to see what God has to say. And we need to get our focus primarily on that. And so I believe God has led me to this series. I hope you'll be here with us as we seek and look. I don't know about y'all, but I want to be right with God. Amen. I want to be where we need to be to do what God wants. And that's what this is all about. And if you was with us last week, we kind of went over this. Jesus wrote and he specifically said to John, the apostle, he said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He's Almighty God. That's what he's saying. I am God. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. These were actual churches. You see a list there. The order of that list is the exact order that you see. And I don't think it's an accident that it makes a complete circle. And it is seven churches. Seven being the number of God, the number of completeness. Seven days he took to build and to rest for creation. It talks about the seven spirits of God. That's the fullness and the completeness of the spirit of God. The number seven is the completeness. So this is what he's given us. And if you look, it's, it's in a circle. It starts at the bottom left, Ephesus. It goes to Smyrna, to Pergus. It goes over and makes a downward spiral through Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then back to Laodicea. That circle, many believe, being... The completeness of the church being described here that would happen during the church age. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus specifically chose these seven churches. There were many other churches he could have chose. So he chose them for a purpose. He chose them for a reason. And most people believe that the letters to these seven churches are messages from Christ that reveal to the church today, the church throughout the church age till Jesus returns how to properly function throughout the church age. And this is kind of going over last week, but we're fixing to get to get some bridge in here in a minute. But these particular churches illustrate all of the possible spiritual conditions for future churches until Christ returns. I don't know if you figured out, but every church ain't in the same spiritual condition. Every church ain't healthy. Every church ain't experiencing all the fullness of a healthy church that's right with God that is rightly connected with the Lord. The church can be sick with sin. The church can be off course and be distracted. 
The church can be deceived and can be completely out the will of God. Friends, listen, this is important that we look at in these days. Because the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more the devil is going to do everything he can to distract, to deceive, and destroy the church. He does not want the church to be accomplishing what it's supposed to while we're here. So I want you to think about this with me this morning. As you look at these churches, the, you can't see that unless it's better on that screen, but I tried to make it better. I'm going to just get rid of this. But the spiritual condition of the seven churches speaks to us. These are conditions that each church can identify with. And the one we're looking at this morning is the church of Ephesus. Some people call this the loveless church, but it wasn't a church that was without love. At one time, they loved Jesus the way they were supposed to. But they had fallen from that love. And I call them the lost love church because they had lost their love for Jesus. Jesus used to be first love, but He was no more. And so we're going to read this letter to Him together. And I want you to pay attention with me as you read it. To the angel, we learned last week, the angel of the church, that's the messenger. Most people believe primarily the head elder, the, the pastor. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's the angels, the messengers. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. If you take time to look up above in verse 20, Jesus himself tells us that the seven lampstands which you saw that I was in the midst of are the seven churches. So Jesus is in the midst of the seven churches that are represented as these golden lampstands. And then he tells them, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. Some translations say endurance. That's what he means. And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly. And remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. But this you have. That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. And he who has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. That word literally means to conquer. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for these specific, special gifts to the church of these seven letters. And as we begin to look through them, and especially today, we pray that you'll use this, Lord, to evaluate us, to do a spiritual MRI into our lives to show us where we stand in your eyes. And Lord, we thank you that you love us. But we thank you that when we meet you and experience your love, we're overwhelmed to the point that we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for that love that we have in Christ. And we pray today for this message to speak. So give us ears to hear and give us grace to overcome and conquer anything in our life. That hurts that love relationship that we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, we look here and the first thing you see, it says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, these things write. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst 
of the seven golden lampstands. I want you to take things, notice the two things. I think this first thing he tells us is the most important thing about every church. Jesus Christ is present in the very midst of these seven churches, which represents all the churches of this church age. And guys, the most important thing about a church is that Jesus is in the midst. Because if Jesus ain't here walking in the midst, we should have went fishing, you should have went shopping, ladies, or you went play golf, whatever cranks your tractor. Because if ye ain't here with us, we wasting our time. But Jesus is in the midst. Now these churches, five out of the seven, he had things in those churches he condemned. They wasn't perfect. None of us are. But they were close enough and they were real enough. They were in relationship enough with Jesus that he was there in the midst. And because he was in the midst, the next thing you see that he says, notice this with me in verse 2. He says, I know your works. He says that to every church in every one of the seven letters. I know your works. Because Christ is present. He sees and he knows all about the churches. I'm here today to tell you that the unbelievable love of God is so unbelievable and so hard to believe that he knows everything you do. Everything you think, every action you ever perpetrate, and He still loves you. I don't know about you, that's an unbelievable thing to me. And friends, Jesus knows the church. He understands and He is the one who can best evaluate the church. And that's kind of what He's doing in these letters. So Jesus is in the presence of the church. He's walking out our midst today. Today, I don't know about y'all, but I thank God when I go to church that I see evidence that I know there's things happening that we can't do. That I know Jesus is here. There's nothing worse than church without Jesus. Amen? But I'm here to tell you there's nothing better than church with Jesus. And friends, what a privilege to be in a church where Jesus is in the midst. Ephesus was that kind of church. And the evidence is that he says, I know your works. They were... Doing things. I want you to see Jesus is aware and he's concerned with the spiritual condition of his churches. That's why he's writing this. I promise you, God is really, really concerned with the church of America even more than the White House of America or the Supreme Court of America. Not that God's not involved in that. That's why we ought to be praying and that's why we ought to be voting. But God, his purpose His supreme focus is zeroed in on His house, His church. And friends, He cares about us. He's aware of us. And you can't trick God. You can't fool God. I'm not going to step on your thing, Jonathan, I promise. We're taking insurance out on that thing. All right, well, I'll get inside. I want you to think about this, though. There are two things that you see in these letters that Jesus does. There are things that Jesus commends. And unfortunately, there are things that Jesus condemns. But that doesn't stop Jesus from being in the midst. Because Jesus' reason for condemning is to help us to overcome and conquer those things that shouldn't be in our life. And as you look here, he says, look at verse 2. I know your works. He's commended them. He says, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Those are worthy things. We should be laboring for the Lord. We should be patiently enduring. That's what that word actually is saying. That we don't stop. We're patient. We persevere. 
And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. They had discernment. They could tell if a man was preaching, thus saith the Lord. If God was with him. They knew if he was lying. They, they understood that. They could recognize the evil. They understood the difference. They were doing all these. Listen to what he says in verse 3. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Friends, they were still doing the work of the church. They were still doing ministry. They were still a visible presence that they were the church of Christ, the church of the living God. But he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. Guys, you can be doing everything you're supposed to do. And if you don't love Jesus the way you're supposed to love Jesus, it will not mean what it should mean. Friends, listen. Jesus said this, not me. Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but Jesus doesn't accept second love. He's first love or he's none. He will never tolerate second, third, or especially fourth or fifth. Jesus said, I'm first love. Let me tell you what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Go check this out. He said, unless your love, if you love your parents more than me, you're not worthy of me. And if you love your children more than me, you're not worthy of me. He's not saying we're not supposed to love our parents. He's not saying you don't naturally love your children. But he says when you meet me and experience my love and I come into your life and you have a real relationship with me and you know me that my love will exceed even that of a parent to a child and a child to a father. I don't know about you, but that's a love, amen. And I don't know about you, but when I met Jesus, man, it began to take me over. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? When Jesus showed you and he cleansed you up, he he forgave you and he took away your guilt and your shame and he took you into his arms and he embraced you and you entered into a relationship and he began to speak to you. All of a sudden, the word of God became alive. It began to make sense. You began to read it and the subject, the main thing about it now was Jesus. It wasn't church for you saved. It's church, church, it's religion. When you get saved, it's Jesus, Jesus, it's a relationship. And it's alive. And Jesus began to love you. And he began to help you. And he began to guide you and direct your life. Friend, I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things, that's the greatest things that ever happened to me is falling in love with Jesus. It was very similar to falling in love with her. Because being in a relationship with Jesus is all about love. And Jesus is telling them, you're doing all these things, but you no longer love me. You've left your first love. You know what he's saying? When you look at this, I want you to look at it with me in a minute. Jesus is basically saying, love me like you used to. Love me like you used to when you first met me. When we were newlyweds. (laughs) When you just first entered into a relationship. Look at what he says and you look at it with me. He says, nevertheless, in verse 4, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Look at the next verse. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. So the love you once had for me has fallen. It's not what it used to be. Then listen to what he says. Do the first works. He says, go back and do with me what you used to do. Love me the way you used to when we first met. When I first saved you. 
When you first became my children, love me that way. I don't want you just to be religious and keep spiritual duties. I want you to love me and be devoted to me and have a passion for me to have me in your life. Friends, I want you to think about this. This is not just for the church of Ephesus. When you look at the history of Israel, it's the same way. He took Israel. He delivered them from Egypt, from slavery. He brought them out. He he brought them through the Red Sea. He showed them His miraculous power and His saving power. That's what He did us through the cross. He led them. You're not supposed to be in the wilderness right now. You're supposed to be living in the life, abundant life of Christ. He was leading them to the promised land. On the way to the promised land, they didn't listen to God. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust in His promise that I'm going to lead you into the land of milk and honey. You're going to live and you're going to be able to experience the abundance of gardens you never planted and vineyards you never had to fix. I'm going to take care of you. But they didn't believe God, so He plucked them in the wilderness. But guys, listen what happens. In there, you see a nation that is new, that is experiencing God's favor on their life. And Israel loved God. He goes to Jeremiah's day when Israel had fallen from God. And that's what you see. You see Israel, they're right with God for a season. They're walking with God. They're doing everything God's wanting them to do. And then they, things begin to go good. And they become complacent. They become comfortable. And they begin to drift. And they begin to let that relationship fall. And they become distant. And the next thing you know, they're further from God than they were when they met Him. And friends, listen. That's what happened to Israel. That's what happens to us. You get saved. You're close to God. Everything's getting good. Man, you, you get up in the morning because you just met Him. You're excited. Man, it's like a new bride and a new groom. And you just want to get up and spend time with Him. You want to pray. You don't have to be doing praying because you know you're supposed to pray. You're not praying out of duty. You're praying because you want to know Him. And you're in the Word, and the Word's getting in you, and that relationship is healthy and vibrant and fruitful because love is motivating it. But you let that slip. That's what happened to them. Israel walked away from God, and he told Jeremiah, go and proclaim to them the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Now look at the comparison he uses. He said, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a young bride, you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. He says, even in a land not sown. He says, what he's saying is, I remember when you'd go anywhere I tell you. You'd do whatever I told you to do. You loved me like a young bride. This is the, the New Living Translation. Listen to this one here. The New Living Translation says, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. You know what? When you first meet Jesus, man, Jesus is telling you what to do. You're not just doing what you have to do. Go to church, tithe, don't cuss, don't get drunk. Those are things you want to do because all that stuff hinders your relationship. And there's lots of other stuff. But you know what? You do what you do because you want to do it. I don't know about y'all. When I first got saved, I went to church to get Diane back. I went to church because I thought that's how I would get God okay. But once I got saved, I started going to church because I wanted to go to church. Man, I got right 
met God. I said, don't they have church on Sunday night? Diane? Yeah, then I found out they got church on Wednesday. Hey, you know what? On Tuesday night, these people called deacons to go visit. I didn't even know what a deacon was. <laughs> but I knew they was going to tell people about Jesus. I just want to tell people about Jesus. And that's what happens when you meet him. And friends, listen, he said, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a young bride, you loved me. Man, there's nothing more devoted than a young bride who thinks she has met her Prince Charming. And I don't know if you realize that we found better than the Prince Charming ladies. We found the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. God himself, we've met him and we're his bride. And he's connected with us and he's accepted us just like a groom does his bride. There ain't nothing more excited than a groom when he looks up there and that bride's coming. I heard a preacher say this. I wouldn't say this, but I heard him say it. He said, I've never seen ugly and one came close, but the bride's beautiful, amen? And he said, the bride comes down there. He said, that's a beautiful picture. God, that's the picture God's using of our relationship with one another. The bride and the groom. And he says, I remember how you was devoted to me in your youth. As a young bride, when we first were married and wed, in the King James, he uses the word betrothal. When you were first betrothed to me, how you loved me and you followed me. He said, you'd go wherever I told you to go. You'd do whatever I told you to do. You didn't ask questions. You just did it because you loved Jesus. Friends, I'm going to give you a picture. How many of you is married? How many of you want to be married? Well, I'm going to show you a little bit. You see this picture right here? This is on our first anniversary. And if we live and Jesus tarries, we will be 30 years wed this year. This was our first year anniversary. We had just got married. I told Diane this year, man, we want to take a whole week. Let's go celebrate going on a week's vacation. If I told her that day, she said, where are we going? How much is it going to cost? Where, why are we going to do what? When I told her this, she just said, okay, where are we going? I said, we're going camping, girl. Well, we used to do this when I was a kid. Plus, we was poor. I said, we're going to sleep in the tent every night. We're going to go all over the Smoky Mountains. And man, she didn't even hesitate. I took her brother Gary, man, I put her in this little tent. She was happy as a castle. Man, we went, we was camping. We went to this place called Bossom Mountain Campground. Anybody ever been there? It's in North Carolina. It's the highest elevated campground east of the Mississippi River, they say. It's the highest elevated in the Blue Parch Parkway, the Smoky Mountains. It's a primitive campground. I didn't want to mess around. We went out there. There I am getting us some fire going. We was camping. We go out there. When we get there, they didn't have no bathrooms. They had a couple spigots. They didn't have no electricity. You had to have a lantern. It was real primitive. They only had 42 campsites there. In fact, I thought I was lost three times before we got there. So we pull up. We set up. Man, we all having our time camping. You know, when I asked her to go camping, she didn't say, in a tent. She said, all right. She was excited. Back in them days, Diane go anywhere I told her to go because <laughs> she wanted to be with me. Friends, I should look at this. We get there, that's right down the street, right down the little lane. That says bear habitat, food storage regulations enforced. I think it's funny. Man, I'm getting a picture of it. We eat, and I'm telling her, save some scraps. We're going to bait up a bear. We're going to get a picture of a bear tonight, babe. She's eating with me. Oh, good. You think we'll see one? Oh, yeah, we're going to see a bear. All of a sudden, I look up. I'm lying. I'm dying. You can ask her. There he was. He doesn't come out. We're still eating supper. I said, look, there he is. I run up there with the camera. When the flash went off, he ran off in the woods. Behind the neighbor's camping site. I go over there to him, man. He's got his grill going. He's got a bunch of chicken pieces. He's got a little Coleman stove with a silver pot full of Kraft macaroni and cheese cooked up sitting on his table. All of a sudden, I tell him, I said, hey, man, look, a bear just went behind your campsite. 
We're picking up our stuff because they told us, put your ice chest where they can't see it. Because if they see an ice chest, they identify that as food. They're going to tear that ice chest to pieces. They'll tear your car getting to it. Cover it up. Diane's over there covering the ice chest up with a blanket. We're getting bear proof. All of a sudden, we hear them hollering. Woo, the bear! We go walking over there. Man, he showed up. You see that little silver pot? That had Kraft macaroni. When he left, you couldn't even have to wash it. It was slick clean. He walked up to that man's grill. He ate all of his chicken breast. And about that time, the ranger shows up because everyone's hollering. He had a big old long thing like they shot cows with, but it was 10 foot long. He shot that old bear and that bear ran off. Before he got back to his little house or whatever he stayed in, we were sitting there at our picnic table. We got a picture of the bear. He's back. Somebody else is screaming. We go down there. He's up in their tent. They're loading up. Where are y'all going? We're going to a motel. They said, what are we going to do? We came to camp. I ain't scared of a bear. She said, we're going to be all right. Yeah, we'll be all right. We get in our tent. I took a stick of wood and said, don't worry. If the bear comes, I'll take care of it. Back in them days, she believed me, praise God. Friends, listen. When you're first married, your wife will go wherever you want to go, guys. Because she loves you and she wants to be with you. Guys, look at this. This is our first house. We had just been married, not even a year. And in that house, I can remember, I'd be sitting there. It'd be 10 o'clock at night. I'd say, hey. Let's go take a ride on the three-wheeler. Not a side-by-side, not a four-wheeler, a three-wheeler. Okay, before I could get it cranked, she was on the back, Carrie. Man, we go riding all in them hills of Tennessee at night. One time, was in the daytime, I was trying to cross a creek. She don't know how to swim. She said, that water looks deep. I said, oh, it'll be all right. Man, when the herring bars went under and the three-wheeler went out of sight, I knew he was in trouble. I was worried about my four-wheeler. I turned around. Diane went up a bank like a coon. She's standing up there, bring me home. Guess what? She got back on that four-wheeler. She got her road with me again. You know what? I think back. She'd go everywhere. We'd go frogging. 11 o'clock at night. Hey, it's a good night. The moon's not out. Let's go gig some frogs. Man, we'd go to these ponds I'd found out about. Pull up. Roll the window down. Oh, yeah. Hold up. I'd go. She'd watch me. I'd make a round, come back. Have an old plastic Walmart bag full of old gigged frogs. Tied up, throw them in the back. We'd sit there and listen to a couple more. they back out. Man, we'd go home. I'd throw them in the ice chest. I mean, in the refrigerator. They'd be moving around. She let me put live frogs in the refrigerator. She wouldn't let me do that no more. But you know what? Back then, it's amazing. Diane would go wherever I said, let's go. She was willing to do whatever I said to do. Now I get questioned. Well, she's learned to question. But you know what? You say, well, that was Diane. What about you? I'm going to show you a picture that proves that I was just as bad. Now, y'all already know. Do y'all think fashion and wearing good fancy clothes is important to Brother Marvin? Nah. When I met her, this was our first Christmas. This is before we got married. I hadn't even met her kid, her family yet. She went and bought me a Christmas outfit. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but that's a turtleneck. I had never heard of a turtleneck sweater. I sure ain't never put one on. I ain't put one on since, Brother Robert. But that night, I didn't ask no questions. She said, I want you to wear this. I bought you this Christmas. I put it on, put that green Christmas. I looked good in it too, didn't I? And she took me all around. Man, I went everywhere with that turtleneck. I wouldn't wear a turtleneck right now. But back then, I'd have wore whatever she told me. I'd have went wherever she asked me to go. You know why? Right here. Love. And I ain't talking about I love Bluebell. I'm talking about love that has passion and devotion that she was important enough that whatever she wanted, I wanted. Wherever she wanted to go, I said I'll go. And she was the same way. That's what Jesus is talking about. I don't want to have to beg you. I don't want to have to guilt you. You ought to want to come to church. 
Not because you have to, but because you're privileged to be here with Jesus. He's in our midst. And you want to be. Friends, Jesus told these people, I'm glad that you're doing all these things, but you're not doing them for the right reason anymore. You see, what motivates us to work and labor, to stand up for what's right, and to stand against what is evil, to call out the lie, to stand for Jesus and to walk with Jesus, it can't be duty to religion. It has to be devotion to Christ. And you can get caught in the trap of duty to church. I'm going to church. I'm going to reluctantly give an offering. I'm going to try to go to Sunday school if I can. I'm going to try to do better. Friends, if that's what your life with Christ consists of, I feel sorry for you. Because when you meet Him and you're right with Him, man, you like, Jesus says, hey, I want you to go witness to your neighbor. Yeah, I know he don't like you. I know he ain't being nice to you. But go love on him anyway. Okay, Jesus. It's amazing what Jesus can get you to do when you love him the way you're supposed to. I want you to look at this. You see that right there? You say, does it still like that? Last week, Diane found some yellow flower leaves on a tree. She said, oh, those yellow leaves are beautiful. They would make me a nice arrangement to put in a, on the countertop. So I said, all right. So I'm out there with a big pruner standing on the four-wheeler reaching up cutting down these yellow leaves. And I bring her the yellow leaves, and she made her a nice arrangement. Well, yesterday morning she said, all my yellow leaves fell off. Can you go get me some more yellow leaves? Man, that must have been the only yellow leaves of the fall so far because I rode all up and down our road, all over our property. There was no leaves that had turned colors yet. I went back to her. I said, Diane, there ain't no yellow leaves. They ain't red. They ain't turning color yet. Oh, well. So all of a sudden I looked over at Aaron's yard. I said, man, he got all them flowers growing in that ditch down there. I've been cutting these grass, so I go down there, man, they're everywhere. So I come back, get a pair of scissors. I'm out there in Aaron's ditch, and I'm cutting out them old. We called them Wetsy Betsy's when I was growing up. They ain't nothing but weeds. Because while I'm cutting them, here comes my other neighbor, Jeremy. What are you cutting them down for? They're all over the deer leaves. What you want with them? I said, my wife wants something yellow to make an arrangement. So I'm cutting them for my wife. He's looking at me like, he's crazy. Here comes my other neighbor, Allison. He's pointing at me laughing. Man, I got them flowers. I come walking in. You know what? Both my neighbors laughed at me. But when I walked in and she seen them, where'd you find those? I said, man, I had to go through 100 miles of wilderness and through 10 briar patches to find them. She said, where'd you get them? I said, nah, they're growing in Aaron's ditch. They ain't worth nothing. But to her, ooh, man, she loved them. Friends, you know what? That's what love is about. You do things that you would never do. Do I care about? I don't want to see no flowers. I want to see a pie or a cake or a bread pudding laying up on that counter amen but you know what i find when i put the things she wants on the counter next thing i know she puts the things i want on that counter amen look at here i can tell you we got some love going on at our house but you know what love that's a devoted love because you passionately care for the object of your love that's what jesus is talking about I don't want you coming to church doing church stuff because you think you have to out of duty. That's what happened to them. I want you to look at this. Duty to church had replaced devotion to Christ in their life. There was no longer a passionate pursuit of Jesus anymore. There was merely only a following of a religious program. Checking off your spiritual duties. Read my Bible this morning. Said a prayer this morning. I went to church today. I gave a tithe today. I did what I got to do. 
If that's what your life is like, oh man, you need to encounter Jesus today. Because when you meet him and you find out how much he loves you, and in spite of us doing stuff like that, he says, if you'll just remember where you used to be when you first met me. Remember when I was your first love? Do you remember how awesome that used to be? Do you remember how that was? When like a young bride, you went into what I did when you loved doing it? You see, we're not here to follow a religious program. This is not a job. This is a privilege. And we should look at it as a blessing to be able to serve the Lord. Yes, we need to do all those things that we were doing, but we need to be doing them for the right reason because Jesus has loved us and we love him. Guys, the Bible is empathetically clear that God loves us. You can't take the Bible and read one book, hardly a chapter when you don't realize God must really love us. I'll just give you a few. He says that he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. God demonstrated his love toward us. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But friends, listen, the message this morning that Jesus has given to the church is not how much I love you. Jesus is asking us this morning, how much do you love me? And a relationship that's healthy has to be both people loving one another. If I only one that loves, if she loves me but I don't love her, yeah, I'll be your husband, I'll work, I'll pay the bills, I'll cut the grass, but I ain't doing nothing else. And if all she's going to do is say, I'll cook, I'll clean your house, but I ain't riding on a three-wheeler with you, I ain't going camping with you, I ain't going to... If I'm not willing to go pick a pile of flowers every now and then for her, my marriage is not going to be healthy. And friends, whatever it is that you do for your spouse, it's the same way with Jesus. He wants us to do it because He loves us and we love Him. Now I want you to think about this. How important is that? Does this matter? Oh, yeah. Look at what He tells them. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Love me like you used to. Treat me the way you used to when I first saved you. When you was in love with me. When I was the most important thing in your life. And He says, repent. Now we have a bad picture. We think repentance is bad. Friends, repentance is the best thing you have going for you today. Because repentance means it can be fixed. Repentance means things can change. Friends, I don't know about you, but when he said repent, the Bible says the goodness of God shows forth and brings us repentance. Repentance is a gift. And he says repent, therefore. And listen to what he says. If you don't repent, he says something that I don't like. Or else. Has your wife ever told you, if you don't do this or else? <laughs> you know things ain't going well when that gets to that point. I want you to look at this. Jesus said, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works like you used to be. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Now remember, the churches, the seven churches are the seven lampstands. What is the lampstand? It's the light of God's presence in us. It's Jesus in our midst. What he's saying is, I'll leave. You won't be a lampstand anymore. You'll just be a religious group of people gathering. He said, if you don't love me, no matter what you do for me, could this not be happening today in the church of America? 
Could we not be distracted? Unless you repent. I don't know about you, Dad. Unless you repent, it looks pretty appealing this morning. Amen? Now, I want you to be honest this morning. Do you love Jesus as much as you used to? If there was ever a time in your life where you loved Jesus more, where he had more of your attention, more of your affection, you was giving him more of your time, then you need to listen to this. This is you. But friends, even worse than having fallen has never been there. I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I've never met Jesus in this way. I've just looked at Jesus as keeping me out of hell and hopefully getting me into heaven. Friends, that's not salvation. God didn't save you to keep you out of hell. And He didn't save you just to get you into heaven. He saved you to have a relationship with Him. Hell is full of people today because they didn't have a relationship with God through Jesus. And heaven is being populated this morning. Brother Witt's up there saying, you know what he's saying? If there's anything I can tell you about Brother Witt, he was a Jesus man. Brother Witt loved Jesus. There's nothing better you can ever have said about you when you leave this earth than people say, that man loved Jesus. And Brother Witt is up there right now. Not because he was religious, because he had a relationship with Jesus that when you got around him, you knew was important to him. And friends, I want you to think about this. Or else I will come to you and quickly remove your lampstand. Perhaps the best way to close is to give a biblical illustration. There's two ladies in the church in the Bible, chapter, the Bible, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Go check this out when you get there. They were named Mary and Martha. How many of you have heard of Mary and Martha? Church folks, he's talking to the church. We know about Mary and Martha. Their brother was Lazarus. The Bible says that Jesus loved them. The Bible says in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke that one day Jesus was in their village and Martha heard about it. And Martha said, go find Jesus and invite him into the house. We're fixing to cook him a meal. We're going to whoop up a big pan of Baptist cat heads. We're going to fix him some gravy. We're fixing to put the feeding on him. Tell him bring all his apostles. They all come to their house. Man, Martha's busy about serving. She's cooking. She's serving. She's sitting at the table. Jesus comes in while they're waiting on the meal. Jesus goes over in another room and Jesus begins to share. And Jesus begins to talk. And Jesus begins to tell things about God. And Mary's sitting, the Bible says, this is exactly what it says, at his feet, listening to what Jesus has to say. Martha, religious duty, doing all good things, but ain't even thinking about a relationship with Jesus. She goes over and says, Jesus, would you get on to Mary? Do you not care that I'm here working and doing all the church work and she ain't doing nothing? Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Here you are distracted. That's exactly what he says. And worried about all these things that you're doing. Good things. Fixing a meal for Jesus. Setting a table for Jesus in her home. Opening her home to Jesus. But Mary has chosen that best thing that shall not be taken from her. Sitting at the feet of Jesus trumps, according to Jesus, serving Him when you ain't been with Him. When you don't love Him enough to take time with Him and you wonder why your prayers don't get answered when you beg Him to fix something. or Friends, you know what? Jesus is just waiting for a prayer. That when you get up and say, Lord, I don't need nothing from you. 
because I don't deserve anything. But just because you've blessed me already, I want to tell you this morning, I love you. I want to just let you know how thankful I am for what you've already done for me. And I want to praise you today, Jesus. And I want to give thanks to your name today. Jesus, I didn't come asking for nothing today except the greatest thing you ever gave me. Your presence in my life. I'm with you and you're with me. And at the meantime, is there anything I could do for you? Yeah, go down there and help that church. Go down there and witness to that neighbor. Go down there and help him. Okay, Jesus, you don't, man, when you've been with Jesus, it ain't a burden. It's a blessing to do things for him. That's what he wants you to get. Friends, listen, you can be doing all the right things and doing them without him. But to be doing them with him, we got to love him first. And that's what the message is to the first church. The church that lost its love. I don't know about y'all. Jesus deserves first love. Amen. He deserves to be recognized for how good he is. This morning, I want to tell you, you may be saying, I have never knew Jesus like this. This morning, I don't know where you stand. But all I know is when he saved me and forgave me, and I began to seek him through the word, and his spirit began to help me, and his spirit began to open my eyes, and I began... I don't know about y'all, I fell in love with Jesus just like I fell in love with that lady. And Jesus loves me and I love Jesus and all I know is He shows me things. He's just like that lady. That lady could have left me and had justification many times. But for some reason she stayed with me. You know what? Jesus doesn't want to divorce you this morning. He wants to reconcile with you. He wants to fix your relationship. Start one today if you're not saved. Give your life to Christ. I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you. Just walk up here, I'd sit down with the Bible and you can know how to know that you took a day when you confessed you're a sinner. You put trust and hope in Jesus. You ask Jesus to come into your life and to be your Savior and Lord and He'll be with you until the end. And friends, some of us have known Jesus. You know what it's like to have that love relationship, but you've departed, you've fallen. Remember today what it was like when you used to have Jesus in a right relationship. All you got to do is confess that and repent. And he's waiting with open arms to bring you in. We're going to have a song. It's a beautiful song. I will come to Jesus. Friends, you know why you can come to Jesus? Because Jesus has made a way and he's waiting for you. He wants you to come. Don't listen to the devil. Don't listen to the lies. There's more to Jesus than church on Sunday. Jesus and every day I'm with you never leave you, God. Amen. And when you got Jesus, man, I'm telling you what. It's an unbelievable love relationship. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you, if you don't know you're saved today, to come and get it nailed down and say, I've come to be saved. I've come to know. I don't want to just miss hell. I don't want to just go to heaven. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what he wants. That's what he died for. And if you are saved, I'm going to invite you to, let's leave here today with Jesus as our first love. Father in heaven, I thank you today for this church and for the church. I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you that you know our works, that you are aware of us and you care for us. And in spite of our fallings and our need to repent, you love us today enough that you would meet with us today in our midst and that you would draw someone to you. Your spirit is drawing. You're touching hearts right now as I speak and I praise you for that. And you're, you're steering hearts and you're telling them to come to me some to be saved, some to repent and return to be first love with you again. 
And Lord, I thank you that there's an altar of grace, a place where mercy can be found when we kneel in your presence. And Lord, today as we sing this song, let it be a prayer, let it be a reality that as we come to you, Lord, sinners, sick and sore, you heal us and you help us to know you and have you in our life. Father, right now I pray for this invitation in your honor, for your glory, that you would touch lives and change them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is Jesus calling you? He loves you. Would you come while you can?